predecessor who is about to launch another campaign. So how do you reassure them if that is the reason for their questioning that the former president will not return, that his political movement, which is still very strong, uh, will not oh, yeah. once again take power in the United States? <laughs> well, um, we just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by, uh, if, we, uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he... Uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. Yeah, legitimate efforts. Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, August 4th, 2023. And before I forget, there are reports out that Biden badgered Merrick Garland about getting Trump. Use lawfare to get Trump. We can't beat him in the polls, so we got to take him out through the deep state process. And that's what's going on. This is the third time. There's one more indictment pending down in Atlanta. And this is just continued harassment of Donald Trump and the American people. And now one thing that this indictment also includes, and I'll, I'll get into the, uh, the indictment in a minute. But this indictment also includes going after regular people. You, me, the middle class, the working class, black, white, Asian, Indian. They are now going after the American people. Now, part of the indictment includes his conspiring with various people in various states to present fake electors. Since when are alternate electors now considered fake electors? Well, if you read the indictment, they're fake electors. You've got the attorney general in Michigan indicting 75-year-old people that presented themselves as alternate electors. Regular people, old people, they wanted to follow the law because they thought there was something wrong with the election. But now, according to this indictment, Trump is now conspiring with the regular American. So like I always said, and Trump has always said this, they're going after Trump because he's in the way of going after you. And that's what they're doing here. Regular American people they are now going after. Trump conspired with the American people to present false electors. And it wouldn't end with them. If it wasn't for our massive pushback and us exposing the corruption of the Biden administration, they would go after every American that voted for Donald Trump because they're Bolsheviks. They're running this country like the Bolsheviks did in 1917. So let's just talk about the latest indictment. And this is, has to do, um, and this is in Washington. So Donald Trump was indicted on four counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States over his contesting the 2020 election. Two, conspiracy to impede the January 6th elector certification process in Congress. And three, conspiracy against the right the vote. And four, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And there's a little more detail in, uh, that's in the uh, indictment, but this is the indictments in a broad sense. Now, one thing they did not indict Trump on is being an insurrectionist. But maybe they're holding that back because they can charge him at a later date. 
if things aren't going well in the process, maybe they'll just throw that out. Yeah, he's an insurrectionist too, just to get it out there, just for the politics, just to get rid of Donald Trump. Yeah, he's an insurrectionist too. So we'll see on that one. But one thing I want to just point out regarding the electors is that the Biden administration would lead you to believe that, oh, this is the first time that there was ever an alternate elector or a slate of alternate electors. But let's go back to 1876. Tilden versus Rutherford B. Hayes. Well, guess what? There was an alternate slate of electors. Were they criminals? No, I don't think so. But according to the deep state, but according to the Democratic Party, you want to follow the law? You want to present yourselves as an alternate slate of electors? You are now a criminal. They have now criminalized politics. And while I'm at it, the indictment also says that uh, Trump tried to bully Vice President Pence into taking a second look at these electors. The Constitution says that the vice president will preside over the electoral count process. However, in the indictment, the deep state says that, oh, the vice president is just ceremonial in this process. Well, that's not what the word preside means. Preside means you're in charge. It doesn't say anything about being ceremonial. If it was ceremonial, they would have said it in the Constitution. Ah, oh, but no, 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 Pence didn't want to look there. He didn't want to go there. I don't want to upset the apple cart, even though the will of the American people may be at risk here. And the role of the vice president in this process, it's gray. It's not clear. It's not ceremonial, as the deep state says. It's not clear. And let's go to what a couple of constitutional scholars have to say about this. And this is taken from the constitutioncenter.org. And this article here is from December 15, 2020. Election scholar Ed Foley wrote in a Washington Post op-ed in early December about the act's language issues. I have spent much of my academic career trying to parse its meaning, and I still find it impenetrable or, at the very least, indeterminate, he admitted. Various problems Foley appointed to included unclear roles of state governors and other state officials as certifiers and what role the vice president can play in the process. Under federal statute, the vice president role is to preserve order at the joint meeting. This authority may be interpreted as encompassing the authority to decide questions of order, but the statute is not explicit on this point. In past meetings, the vice president has ruled on questions about how the session should be conducted in compliance with federal statutes, which limit motions and almost all debate at the joint session. The vice president also allowed to call for objections when electoral votes are announced and to state the results of these objections after the House and Senate meet separately to consider them. In a 2010 Law Review article, Stephen A. Siegel looked at the Electoral Count Act of 1887's history and its intent. After a lengthy analysis, Siegel found the act a coherent enactment, qualifying that its coherence does not mean that it is a complete response to the problems of Congress's electoral vote counting. So again, the role of the vice president is gray. 
It's not ceremonial, as the deep state said in the indictment. But the vice president clearly could have used his gray matter to say, hey, let's let's take a second look at this. Let everybody calm down. We'll take a second look at this and let cooler heads prevail. But Pence ran away from it, causing a lot of chaos, a lot of agita in this country. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone would object to him saying, hey, look, let's take a look at some of these questioned states. Let's take a second look at these electors, see what the problem is. Why is everybody up in arms? But Pence didn't do that. He was a coward. He didn't step up and meet history. He ran from history. And he could have done a lot for this country if he just said, hey, let's take a second look. And the thing I find funny is after the election of 2020, Congress got together and changed the electoral vote count to make the vice president's role ceremonial. Isn't that ironic? So they're admitting that it wasn't so clear about the role of the vice president because they had to change it afterwards. And the deep state is trying to criminalize an interpretation of the Constitution that doesn't meet their objectives. Now, one of the things that the deep state is going to have to prove against Donald Trump is that he knowingly knew that he lost, but still pushed questioning the election. And what they did in their indictment, they listed all these um, administrative people that worked in Trump's administration, like Bill Barr, that told him, no, you lost. Trump had asked him to look into these accusations of cheating in these various states. Well, Barr turned around and said, no, nothing to see here. We couldn't find anything. Oh, really? And Barr's going to have to take the stand. Everyone is going to have to take the stand here. They're going to have to be cross-examined under oath, and they're going to have to tell the truth. And this is the one thing I like about the unintended consequence of this indictment. Now the Trump legal team can subpoena people, litigate the election fraud that took place. So I digress. Now... Getting back to Barr, Barr is one of the people that are in this indictment telling Trump that, oh, no, you lost. And they're trying to say that all these people told Donald Trump that he lost, yet he went ahead with challenging the election. Yeah, all these deep state people that wanted Trump gone. All these people are interested. Oh, let me just move on to my next gig. Let's get Trump out of here. I've already got a job lined up in Washington. Let's get rid of Trump. I don't want to know anything. And that's why it's really important that they get cross-examined. Well, let's get back to Barr. So Barr had told Trump that, no, you lost the election. And with that said, I want to take us back to an interview between Wolf Blitzer and Bill Barr. And this is before the election. And they're talking about the mass mailing of these ballots. So let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. This is a, you know, sort of cheap talk to get around the fundamental problem, which is the bipartisan commission chaired by Jimmy Carter and James Baker said back in 2009 that mail-in voting is fraught with the risk of fraud and coercion. But since then, and, there and until this administration, no, well, proved it. Let me talk. Yeah, please. Uh, and since this, since that time, there have been, in the newspapers, in networks, academic studies saying it is 
open to fraud and coercion. The only time the narrative changed is after this administration came in. But elections that have been held with mail have found substantial fraud and coercion. For example, we indicted someone in Texas, 1,700 ballots collected he from people who ha could vote. He made them out and voted for the person he wanted to. Okay? Because that kind of thing happens with mail-in ballots, are, and everyone knows But it. there are individuals, uh, cases, but as far as widespread fraud, we haven't seen that since... Uh, well, we, have, we haven't had the kind of widespread use of mail-in ballots that's being proposed. We've had absentee ballots from people who request them from a specific address. Now what we're talking about is mailing them to everyone on the voter list when everyone knows those voter lists are inaccurate. People who should get them don't get them, which is what has been one of the major complaints in states that have tried this in, in municipal elections. And uh, people who get them are not the right people. They're people who have replaced the, the previous occupant, and they can make them out. And sometimes multiple ballots come to the same address with a whole genera several generations of occupants. Do you think that's a way to run a vote? And here's one question I would have for Bill Barr on the stand. For someone who has made these comments about the downside of these mass mailing ballots, what did you do after this interview to gear up the FBI for potential fraud in the election? Why didn't you talk to Bernie Carrick, who had a boatload of information regarding fraudulent activity in how about Rudy Giuliani? You didn't even want the Hunter Biden laptop from him. Did you talk to Giuliani? Or did you just stay in your cocoon? Because there was too much chaos going on and you wanted to run. Just like all the other people that surrounded Trump. And this is the funny thing. This is the arrogance also of this indictment. The indictment says, oh, uh, Trump didn't listen to all these people around him, all these deep staters that told him he lost. Well, who said they had to, he had to listen? He's the president. He's the ultimate authority. He'll take their advice. But he was also listening to other people like Rudy Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, hundreds of other people throughout the country that said there was a problem with this election. And I want to know what Bill Barr did about it. Because it sounds like he didn't do much. And this is the problem with the FBI. The FBI does not want to know anything about elections. Because their attitude is, oh, they, don't, they both cheat. We don't want to get our hands dirty getting involved with these election things. And that's the attitude of the FBI. And I'm sure that's the attitude ultimately that Bill Barr took as Attorney General with dealing with the election, in spite of what he said about these mass mailings of ballots. So he's all talk. I'm sure we'll find out he did very little once he hits the stand. And it's pretty glaring. And what I'm talking about is how the Department of Justice has used these Trump indictments to create a shiny object every time something bad happens to Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. And let me just go to a timeline here. And it's glaring. Did they not think the American people were going to see what's going on here? And let me just go over a timeline. 
March 16th. James Comer reveals Biden family payments. Then on April 4th, Trump's indicted in New York. June 8th, the GOP views Biden bribery, 1023 form. June 9th, Trump's Mar-a-Lago indictment. July 26th, Hunter Biden's plea deal falls flat. July 27th, additional charges are laid on Trump at Mar-a-Lago. July 1st, Devin Archer testifies. And I'll get into Devin Archer later. And then on August 1st, Trump's indicted in Washington. And this is what I mean. These people aren't bright. Did they not think that the American people, the American public would start looking at this and looking at the timeline and say, wait a second, what's going on here? And we all know what's going on here. The DOJ is weaponized. The DOJ has injected itself at the request of Joe Biden to go after Joe Biden's number one rival. Is this what we want? But this is a weaponized government. This is a Bolshevik government. And they're making a laughing stock of this country. Now, Trump isn't going to get a fair trial here. Because the jury pool in Washington, D.C. hates Trump. Hates Trump. I think there was a report that 97% of Washington, D.C. voted for Joe Biden. And over the past months, or they've heard about this J6, they're surrounded by Trump haters, they're surrounded by the deep state that hates Trump. And he's not going to get a fair trial. Not in Washington, D.C. And here's a perfect example. I want to go to a clip, and this is with Michael Fanone. He is the former Capitol Hill cop that testified, I think it was in front of the J6 hearing, about how bad things were, how terrible it was. And he's an outright Trump hater, and he's indicative of the jury pool. Now, I'm not saying Fanone is going to be part of the jury pool, but he's indicative of the Washington, D.C. perception of Donald Trump. So let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. When I first learned about the indictment, um, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine, Ryan Riley, and uh, I told him how proud I felt uh, to be an American at that moment, Uh, much in the way that I did uh, when I learned that uh, our military had killed Osama bin Laden. I think that, you know, Donald Trump should go to prison for the rest of his life. Um, And I would hope that, you know, he would um, have a stroke and live forever. Trump derangement syndrome, that's what he has. And that's what most of the jury pool will have in Washington, D.C. Maybe not to the extent that Fanon has for Trump, but it's still hate. So we shall see on this. You know, hopefully they can move the uh, the venue. And then when you add to this the fact that the presiding judge has worked at the same law firm as Hunter Biden and has connections to the Democratic Party, and she's been extremely heavy-handed when doling out prison sentences for the J6 riders. And speaking of the J6, are we still in America? We've got these poor people in prison. 
Where's due process? Where's the due process for our J6 prisoners? And at what point do they become political prisoners? That's what I want to know. But this judge out here handed out tough sentences for everyone that came before her regarding J6. So it's Trump really going to get a fair trial here? And like I said in my last episode, this is going to meander up to the Supreme Court. And they'll make the final decision on this. Now, now finally, there's a bunch of questions of when this is going to take place, this trial. And no trial dates have been set. So we shall see. And before I move on to the next topic, I just want to read a poll. And boy, they must be infuriated. The Biden regime, the DOJ, all those attorneys that are prosecuting Trump, they got to be infuriated. So a poll came out. It's by Emerson, not a MAGA-friendly pollster. And they polled Michigan, a swing state. And they have Trump and Biden tied. And then if you add Cornell West, who is a third party candidate out of the Green Party, Trump is beating Biden by two. And the reason they must be infuriated is because this poll was taken on August 1st and August 2nd, right in the middle of Trump's Washington indictment. So they're going to continue with the bombs against Trump. They're going to continue with the bombs against us until Election Day. But the American people are sticking with Donald Trump because they know this is unfair and they know that there is a deep state. So let's talk about Devin Archer. So Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former partner, met with the House Oversight Committee behind closed doors to talk about his relationship with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And a few things jumped out. The first thing is that Hunter would call Joe in the middle of his business meeting. And I'm sure in some cases, Joe called Hunter in the middle of these business meetings. To show what kind of influence he had. Now, you have to understand the game that they play. And the reason I know this so well is I worked in Hudson County for over 10 years. I know the game that these corrupt politicians play. I know the game that these bag men play. And what they do is they get their clients at a dinner and they're telling their clients. And in the case of Joe Biden, in the case of Hunter Biden, they were international businessmen, people that weren't looking out for the United States. So what he would do is he would, get, he would meet with these clients, these international businessmen. They'd be at dinner and Hunter's sitting there and says, I can get you access to every level of government. I am that good. I have my connections. And lo and behold, he calls his father, Vice President of the United States. And he would be put on speakerphone. And here's the message. The message is, that's my contact. That's my hook. I got the Vice President of the United States. I'm sure in some cases, the former Vice President of the United States. He's the one that can get you access. And they can clearly put two and two together. And that's how it works. Get your clients together and then call your corrupt politician, father in this case, to show them this is the access you have. And that's all they sell. That's all the Biden family can sell is corrupt access to the United States government at the expense of the American people. 
And the other thing that uh, Archer brought out is that he was calling the relationship the Biden brand. So Hunter Biden was selling the Biden brand, and that Biden brand included Joe Biden, per Devin Archer. And what gets me, this, this is just how local corrupt politicians work. But Joe Biden just did it so brazenly. Hunter Biden just did it so brazenly. So we've got the phone calls. We've got this whole game that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were playing with the, the, their clients. We've got the Biden brand established. And then what was presented was a letter from Joe Biden as vice president on vice presidential letterhead to Devin Archer. And he was saying, oh, so sorry I couldn't talk to you at the, at the soiree the other day. And then what he wrote at the bottom of the letter, handwritten, I'm so glad you and Hunter are together. But Joe knew nothing about Hunter Biden's business. Bullface lie. Now, the other thing that came out also is that Joe Biden actually met with the wife of the former mayor of Moscow. And this was after, I think it was after, she gave Hunter Biden $3.5 million, give or take a couple hundred thousand dollars. But who cares when you're raking in millions and millions of dollars a year? So Joe Biden met with her physically, dinner. And remember what happened? Remember during the Russian sanctions when the Ukraine war started? Well, this wife of the mayor of Moscow, who's an oligarch in her own right, was not sanctioned. This is a shocker. She wasn't shank- sanctioned. How'd that happen? The Biden brand. The Biden brand at work. Additionally, it came out that while vice president, Joe Biden had coffee with Jonathan Lee, the incoming CEO of Chinese state-backed investment fund, BHR Partners. Rather than a mere handshake greeting in Beijing in 2013, as initially reported, and that Hunter, who had held the 10% stake in BHR until at least 2021, later put his dad on speakerphone with Lee as well. Can it be more clear that Joe Biden knew about his son's business arrangement? And the reason he knew about his son's business arrangement, he was benefiting from it. And that brings us to impeachment. Now, there's plenty of, plenty, plenty of facts out there to impeach him. Now, all they have to do is just tie up the money that was flowing into all these various LLCs. Remember all these LLCs that were set up that one of the Barisma executives said, oh, it'll take 10 years for people to figure it out. Well, it ain't taking 10 years. But my point is, is that there's enough there already. You literally don't need to have Joe Biden's hand in a bag of money in order to impeach him. Remember that. And the mainstream media and the Democrats are doing their best to mitigate this. And the funniest Democrat response I've heard is, oh, well, you know, Joe Biden's just a lonely old man looking to talk to his son. That's the only reason he was calling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we believe that. And the game plan of the mainstream media is just to treat this just like the Hunter Biden laptop. Deny, deny, deny until they can't deny it anymore. Just hoping that this thing drags out past the election. Now, speaking about the election, there's some talk about the Democrats dumping Biden. 
And at this point, that's just talk. And we know that because they've done their darndest try to protect Hunter Biden. But that could change in a heartbeat. So we shall see. I mean, there's a lot of talk out there about, oh, whether it's going to be Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama. But the problem the Democrats have is that you've got Kamala. What's Kamala going to say about this? She clearly wants to run for president because she's in her own bubble. She thinks she thinks she's doing the best job there is. Meanwhile, the rest of the world thinks she's a fool. So again, right now, I think the deep state's still with Biden. Again, that can change in a heartbeat. So we shall see. So, Fitch Investors, a rating agency, downgraded U.S. debt from AAA to AA+. And Fitch cut the U.S. credit rating on Tuesday, citing rising debt, let me repeat that, rising debt and an erosion of governance. Well, that shouldn't be a shocker. We're on pace this year to accumulate $3 trillion in additional debt just as a result of this year's budget. And this is right in the middle of Joe Biden touting Bidenomics, how everything is so great. And they're in a fantasy world. And Wall Street's in a fantasy world right now. We literally have uncontrollable debt being accumulated by our federal government. And Fitch happens to be the first rating agency to raise the flag. And then they take a look at the governance of the United States. And they look at Joe Biden and they look at other leaders and they're like, oh my God, what's going on? And you've got Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. They're out there saying, oh, no big deal. And it has it, it is a big deal. And here for two reasons. One is that the market's been down since this downgrade. And two, and this is what really gets me. They're out there. You had Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, out there. Say, ah, no big deal. Goldman's out there. Ah, no big deal for them at the time because I don't think they anticipated this, the market going down since then. But what really gets me is they're so tone deaf to the American people. They're in their bubble. And they don't realize that after this downgrade happened, the 10-year bond spiked. And what happens with the 10-year bond, the, uh, the mortgage rates uh, pivot around the 10-year bond. So if the 10-year bond goes up, likely mortgages will go higher, which makes it harder for a young couple with a kid to try to get a house. Oh, but that's no big deal to Jamie Dimon. It's no big deal to Goldman Sachs. As long as we keep the stock market up, as long as we can collect our fees. And this is part of the problem. Like I said a couple of episodes ago, there was this one economist talking about, well, why is the market going up? And she's like, well, the market's really opportunist. It's not, uh, it's not really rational. That really startled me. And it should startle everyone else. But again, the elites, whether it's in banking, in Washington, you're last on the list. You've already got people talking about, well, maybe the Fed shouldn't keep a 2% target. Maybe they should uh, uh, target a slightly higher inflation. Well, guess what? There's a lot of Americans that need inflation to go down more in order for them to live. But Wall Street doesn't care. 
Keep it higher than 2%. As long as we make money. The hell with the American middle class. Tell them to buy stocks if they want to take part in this. What they don't understand is that there's a lot of Ameri- there are a lot of Americans because of inflation that can't put money in the stock market. Because at the end of the day, they got nothing in their bank account. And people are catching on to this. The independent voter, even some Democrats. And that should be enough for Trump to win, but you still have to come out and vote, and you got to grab everybody else to come out and vote next November. So we shall see. So one last time I want to cover before I go, and let's go up to Canada, where Justin Trudeau is getting divorced. Now, I'm quite surprised his marriage lasted so long. Imagine living with a guy like that every day, a beta male that's afraid of alpha people self-absorbed, really not bright, handed everything in his life, shrill. Yeah, everything you want in a husband. So I'm sure his wife is happier. And let's just hope that the Canadian people will divorce themselves from Trudeau as soon as possible. Now, while we're up north, I want to talk about the Canadian wildfires and It's an issue here in New York, New Jersey area because we've been catching a lot of the smoke here. So let's read this article. And this is from CNBC. And I'm just going to give you some highlights. Europe's Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Service on Thursday said that accumulated carbon emissions from Canadian wildfires had soared to 290 megatons in just the first seven months of 2023. That is already more than double the previous whole year record and accounts for over 25% of the global total year to date. And this is the part that gets me. Astonished climate scientists have warned that the unprecedented nature of what's happening in Canada is a harbinger of what is still to come. Now, these wildfires started because... Canada doesn't maintain their forests. And this this used to happen out west, up north, that you literally got to go into your uh, forest and check the brushes, have fire watches, in some places have controlled burns. And this is the whole problem with these self-anointed climate people. They just want to talk the talk. They don't want to do anything to mitigate any problems. So all they want to do is just raise their hand, yep, climate change, and then they sit down. They don't want to think about maintaining your forests. And if they truly believed in climate change, they would have been pounding the table and said, we got to take care of our forests. We have to maintain our forests. Nope. Because they're all talk. And that's the problem with these people. They come up with fake science, fake media, where they just want to talk. They don't want to do So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I'll talk to you next Saturday.